Lee sent me a, a, te a, a text this past week. He said, this is a song we're singing Sunday morning. My, my, my response back was, I like it. Uh, that was, that's, that's an old Gaither song, long time song, but what a truth. Jesus is the center of my joy. Hey, take your Bibles and turn in them with me to Hebrews, the third chapter. Now, it's going to be a minute or two before I get there, so just hold that there. You will notice in your bulletin this morning there is no outline. Um, the reason for it is a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't have an outline. <laughs> I'm going to preach an unusual, uh, it's not a style. What, what I want to say to you this morning really doesn't uh, need an outline. In fact, really what I want you to do is just listen. Um, and I think you'll see why in a minute. We're, we're talking about giants these days. We're talking about and looking at a series entitled Facing the Giants. And uh, we began this study a couple of weeks ago, seeing how giants appear throughout the pages of the Old Testament. And they, every time they appeared, they were standing in the way of what God wanted to do and accomplish through his people. So I've, I've kind of taken that whole thought and, and developed uh, this series of messages, there'll be at least one more message uh, after this one. But uh, I want to I deal with how we defeat those giants. And I'm going to give you this morning an overarching principle. And then two weeks from today, I'll deal with some of the more specific weapons that God has given to us uh, as we see in his word. Uh, we've looked in Genesis 6, Numbers 13, 1 Samuel 17, 2 Samuel 21. And we've seen how, again, how the giants uh, were keeping God's people from having God's best. And every one of us, as we travel through this thing called life, we have giants that stand in our way. Uh, some of those are self-inflicted giants, but many of them, uh, the enemy puts in our way to trip us up along the way to keep us, always to keep us from having God's best. So we need to know how to deal with them as we see it being done even in the scriptures. Uh, I shared with you from the first message three truths of application as we thought about facing the giants. Number one, I shared with you how giants are always at war with us, always at war with us. And again, you see that is all through the Old Testament, first part of it anyway. They were often standing in the way of God's people having God's best. And even in the life of King David, we've, we found that David was fighting Goliath when he was 17 years of age. But when we look at David as an older man, 78 years of life, later down the road, he's not fighting one giant, he's fighting four giants. And all of those giants are seeking to do the same thing. They're seeking to steal, kill, and destroy the life of God, if he can, uh, in, in our lives. And that's what he seeks to do in your life. Life is, not, is a battleground. It is not a playground. And though the battles with our giants can get rough at times, God's grace and God's mercy is certainly sufficient. And God equips us to be able to deal with giants when they come our way. And we'll talk about that uh, later. Last week, we looked at the second truth in more detail. The giants of our youth will always give birth to the giants of our old age if we don't properly deal with the giants along the way. And how clearly we saw that illustrated in the life of King David. After killing Goliath, David should have killed Goliath's four sons. That's the reason he picked up five stones out of the brook instead of just one. 
David failed to kill those other giants in his youth. And later on down the road, later in life, he's facing giants again. Not one giant, but this time he's facing four giants. And the truth of the matter is the giants of our youth will always give birth to the giants of our old age. We don't properly deal with those giants along our walk with God. Uh, I shared with you how Galatians 6, 7, and 8 uh, shows us that truth from a New Testament perspective. Paul writes and he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We reap what we sow. And we took a look at the, that law of the harvest that tells us very simply, we reap what we sow, we reap later than we sow, we reap more than we sow. And if we don't properly deal with those giants that are sowed in our lives, we are going to reap later and we're going to reap more if we don't deal with them. And boy, how this story of David and the giants illustrates that perfectly. And then in the last part of the message last week, I shared with you the meaning of those four giants names, if you look at their name in the Hebrew, uh, and they, they're indicative of some of the giants that we have to face the older we get. In our youth, maybe the giants are more like Goliath, open and brash, but the older we get physically, the older we get spiritually, uh, the giants multiply, though they become more subtle. And I shared with you how these giants are representative of four giants that we all have to deal with, uh, Ishbi Binab, the giant of pride, Saf, he's the giant of hypocrisy, Goliath the Gittite, the giant of gossip. And then we talked about that six-fingered, six-toed giant that represents a giant of powerful grasp. He well could be that giant of greed. And those are those subtle giants, the older we get, that we have to deal with. Well, this morning, I want to go to the third truth that I shared at the beginning of this study and start to deal with it. And in two weeks, we'll deal with it in a more a thorough manner. But there's one overarching principle in dealing with the giants, in defeating giants, that you've got to understand if you do not, uh, if you don't deal, understand this, you're, you're never going to defeat them. Uh, the, the third truth said this, you and I need help defeating the giants. You and I need help. We can't defeat the giants in our lives and our own strength. If you could, you would have already done it. But because you're still struggling with it, just shows the fact you can't. So in our flesh, we don't have the capacity to deal with giants, but in God's spirit, we do. So we need help along the way, and we'll talk about where that help comes from. I, I want to focus your attention this morning on two verses in 2 Samuel 21. Don't turn there, because we'll get to it in a minute. I'll read them. But th these have to do with David's fight against the four giants. 2 Samuel 21, 15 says, Now when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David went down and his servants with him, and as they fought against the Philistines, and here's, here's a key insight, David became weary. Again, he's 78 years of old. Obviously with these giants, they've probably been harassing him for years and years and years and years. The battle became tiresome. He became weary. And you know, that's the way life is, isn't it? If you've got a giant in your life that you keep fighting and keep fighting and keep sticking his ugly head up at you all the time, you get tired of dealing with it after a while. It can bring you to despair. 
It could make you almost want to give up. Well, I guess that giant, I'm going to have to deal with that the rest of my life. So I, I just want to throw my hands up and quit. David became weary. And then in verse 22 of that 21st chapter of 2 Samuel, it says, These four were born to the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David. And then it adds these words, and by the hand of his servants. David needed help to deal with the giants in his life. And the truth of the matter of it is this, in our flesh, we do not have the strength and the power it takes to be able to defeat those giants alone. Uh, David didn't have the strength to fight these giants by himself, but he had friends to help. God gave him what he needed to be able to, de to defeat those giants that came his way. So that's what we're going to look at for our time this morning and what we're going to look at in two weeks. Um, so what has God given us that empowers us to beat and defeat the giants in our lives? What helps has God given us to destroy those giants in our life? And what weapons do we have from God that will destroy the giants that keep harassing us? Well, we're going to deal with those. But an overarching principle and let me say this, and it, it, you know, it's funny, I had not planned on preaching this, but as I was studying this a couple of weeks ago and going back over it, God just kept bringing me back to this. I had, not, I had not intended to do an entire message on this, but the more I got into it, the more God just spoke to my heart, I realized how critical this, this issue is. And what I'm about to share with you folks, this is true on behalf of us individually as believers, but it's also true for a church. What, what, what keeps a church from being what God wants it to be? And what can stop a church from being the church that God wants it to be? And obviously, he wants his churches to be a, a place for his kingdom work. Uh, we're, we're to be uh, establishing his kingdom on this earth. And he's already promised gates of hell won't prevail against his church. He wants a church to be strong. He wants God to use it. He wants want to be used by God. He wants the church to be a, a powerful place of ministry and service for his kingdom. Why, why are churches not that way? Comes back to what I'm going to deal with this morning. Um, so we want to deal with it. Now, before I, before I get, give you that overarching principle, let me add here uh, something that you'll see this morning, but you're also going to see in two weeks. And this is really the beauty of God's Word. Uh, in the verses about giants here that we've read, we've looked at these last couple of weeks, in type, in picture, and in symbol, God gives us insights into the weapons necessary to defeat the giants that are in our lives. And remember, at the very beginning, I shared with you how the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And God shows us in his word through oftentimes type, pictures, and symbols. Those things concealed in Old Testament, but are revealed through New Testament truth to help us as his followers walk victoriously in him. And while it is true, you and I must be careful with such a study of type and picture. Um, you have to back it up with God's Word being taught consistently, but how it can open up the truth of Scripture to you if understood and applied properly. 
So remember that as we go through, particularly next week's or next uh, two weeks from today's sermon. So here's, here's the overarching principle you got to get. I'm going to give it to you and then we're going to talk about it this morning. Uh, here's what I want you to hear. This battle against giants in our life is first and foremost a battle of faith. It is a battle of faith. And if you don't learn to walk by faith, you'll never defeat the giants in your life. Let me say it again. This battle against giants in our life is first and foremost a battle of faith. Now, for my next hour and a half, I want to back that up, if I could, uh, for you. Some of y'all didn't get that. Some of you are afraid I'm telling the truth. Um, I, I won't, I promise. Uh, I want to start in the New Testament. Remember, New Testament's uh, Old Testament revealed, Old Testament's New Testament concealed. We, we used these words, words a moment ago. We did it as a responsive reading. There was a rhyme and a reason why this was put into our order of service today. And we started, uh, almost started the service by quoting God's word on this. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing uh, to believers in Ephesus about the spiritual battle that we are involved in. And he reminds us as we fight this battle that we must put on the full armor of God in order to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy. And as he is listing the parts of the armor that must be put in its proper place, he tells us this about faith. This is Ephesians 6, verse 16. In addition to all, he's listed the pieces of the armor. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In other words, once you've put on this full armor of God, to stand against the attacks of the enemy. You've got to take up that shield of faith to be able to keep those fiery darts coming from the enemy. He emphasizes the important part of the shield of faith. And the reason for it is that this battle against giants, this battle against powers of darkness, this battle of spiritual warfare is first and foremost a battle of faith. Now let's go back to our giant verses to see that. In the case of the children of Israel going into the promised land, God had promised his people such a land. Moses sent in 12 spies. Again, don't miss this. He sent the 12 spies in not to see if they could take the land. He sent them in to see how to take the land. They should have walked by faith in the promises of God. They should have believed what God told them. But instead, 10 of the 12 spies brought back a bad report and the children of God decided to believe what they could see and what they could reason instead of believing what God had said to them. And the result? Wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. All the men but two died in the wilderness, never seeing the promise 
of God. In fact, it's interesting how the writer of the book of Hebrews in our New Testament gives commentary to what took place in the wilderness and what kept the children of God from having God's best. Hebrews 3, verses 7 to 12, I ask you to turn there, and I'm going to read verses 16 and 19. The writer of Hebrews writes, and he says, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they, tr they provoke me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren. And by the way, ladies, sistren too. Take care that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Now listen, listen very carefully here. So we see that they were not able to enter because of what? What? They were not able to enter because of unbelief. And folks, the truth of the matter is, it is unbelief, a lack of faith, faithlessness that will cause a believer not to walk in the victory of Christ. It will be unbelief that keeps them from living in Christ's fullness. It will be unbelief that will keep them from entering into that which God has provided for us through his salvation in his son Jesus. And can I tell you this morning, it will be unbelief that will keep a church from being what God wants it to be. It was unbelief that kept the children of God out of the promised land. And again, for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness later, the men, of the, only two men in the whole group got to see the promise of God. And by the way, those two men were the only two that believed God. They walked by faith. Uh, then you, you look on the other hand, David stood to fight Goliath. And I would suggest to you this morning that when David stood to fight Goliath, David stood in faith. In fact, I would go so far to say that even though David used a rock in his sling to kill Goliath, it was David's faith that really destroyed that giant. Now, I'm not going to go back and read that whole account of, of David. But listen, I'm going to go to 1 Samuel 17, verse 32. It says this, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Speaking of Goliath, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. David expressed faith, a true living faith, that God himself would use him to defeat Goliath. He stood by faith. 
down in verse 37 of that 17th chapter. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You talk about a statement of faith. David had faith in the God who was faithful to him and a God that had delivered him in the past. And then down in verses 45 to 47, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. You talk about a de declaration of faith. David stood against Goliath in faith, and when that old giant came tumbling down, it was because David was a man of faith. So, that's where I get this whole principle this morning. That any time you think about destroying these giants, how you respond and how you move has to be in faith. This is where we must begin to defeat the giants that are in our life. They must be met by faith, unbelief will never move the giants that's in your life or in my life. Now, let, let, me, let me take that just another step. I want you to think with me about the importance of faith to the Christian life. Uh, in fact, I would say it almost has to be the most important ingredient when you think about walking with God. Uh, on, on one hand, did you know that you cannot be saved without faith? In fact, it's faith that unites you to God's provision for salvation. It takes faith in God, and it takes faith in God's provision for my sin in order for me to be saved. You can't be saved without faith, can you? John 3.16, probably one of the most basic verses of Scripture in the, in the, in the Bible. Basic, but boy, is it full. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, what? Believeth. What's believeth? It's faith. Trust. Believing it's true. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Belief in God's provision. Belief in a God who's provided a way of salvation and belief in the way in which he's provided it. That's how you get saved. Faith begins your journey with Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift or the work of God. 
Romans 10, verses 8 to 10. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. It is by faith that we enter into a true relationship with God himself through his son, the Lord Jesus. That's how important faith is. But once you get saved by faith, your faith shouldn't stop there. You don't check faith in. In fact, it makes it very, very clear, the Bible does, that our faith has to continue. In fact, it tells us that we, as we begin our walk with Christ by faith, we're to continue our walk with Christ by faith. I love the way Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And this is where I'm afraid many Christians get confused and struggle. And folks, this is where churches blow it. We're saved by faith in God's provision and God's provision alone, but all of a sudden we, we get saved and we think we have to somehow walk by our sight and our reasoning and our logic and our emotions and our all these things that are man-focused. No, no, no. Just as we've been saved by faith, we walk by faith. And if you try to live your life as a Christian by sight, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to struggle. You, you, you're not going to get very far. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Hey, it takes faith to be filled with the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? It takes faith to experience the abundant life that Christ promised. It takes faith to grow in our walk with God. It takes faith for my prayers to be answered. Think time and time again in the scriptures, it makes it clear without faith, our prayers won't go higher than the ceiling. It takes faith to have God's vision for our lives. In fact, some people don't even have enough faith to think God has a vision for their life. No wonder they don't know what it is. It takes faith for a church to see what God wants it to be. And if you walk by sight and not by faith, you'll never be what God wants you to be and you'll never experience his fullness, much less defeat the giants your way. Now, we, we, we read some very important verses about faith in the book of Hebrews. We started there a moment ago. Hebrews 3rd chapter. Let us see. He, he's setting up what he's going to tell us later on in the book. He's reminded us that the people of God did not enter the fullness of God. They did not enter the promise of God because of their unbelief. And then most, most of that book of Hebrews points us to the, the, the predominance and the importance, the preeminence of faith in the life of the believer. And then the writer of that great book comes to this 11th chapter and he gives us in verse 1 the only 
biblical definition of faith that I, I, that I know of. There may be some others there, but this one is a clear definition of faith and tells us some other important things about this thing called faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Remember, we walk by faith, not by sight. To be able to understand and see in the spiritual realm, to know it's true. That word hope there is not a word. We use it in our languages when we think, of, I hope, um, I, hope I, I hope the preacher don't preach to 2 o'clock today. I hope uh, there's doubt associated with that. Uh, I hope, started to say the Falcons aren't playing anymore. Uh, thank God they're not playing anymore. But anyway, um, I hope the Falcons win. Well, well that ain't no faith in that. <laughs> when we use the word hope, we, we associate hope with doubt. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is certainty. When it says here in these verses, assurance of things hoped for, it is talking about those things that are assured, that are reality. That's Faith. I, I love the Amplified Bible. I think I've shared it here a number of times with you. Uh, the Amplified Bible puts this verse this way. Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of things hoped for, being proof of things we do not see, and the conviction of their reality and then it adds in parentheses, faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Boy, that's good. That's good. And this is why we are told to walk by faith and not by sight. Hey, faith moves us out of the physical realm into a whole different realm of life and living. And for the believer, the sixth sense of faith brings us into the reality of what God has spoken and what he continues to speak to us. And then, then this writer of Hebrews goes on down in his discussion about faith to this sixth verse. Look at it if, you, if you've got your Bible open there. I'll read it if you don't. Hebrews eleven six. he says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. Now let me read that again. Without faith, he doesn't say it's hard to please God. He doesn't say it's difficult to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And here's the reason. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And the implication there is seek him by faith. Hey, folks, it is impossible to please God without faith. And if you're trying to live your life by sight and not by faith, then you can never, never be pleasing to God. And you'll never know any victory in your life over the giants that seek to harass you. Now, to make emphasis of that point, this entire 11th chapter of Hebrews is the hall of fame of faithers of those who knew how to trust God and believe God. Just listen, I'm not going to read all of it. Verse 3, by faith we understand the world was prepared by the word of God. By 
faith. Hey, listen, scientific evidence is there to prove that God created the heavens and the earth like he tells us he did in his word. But scientific evidence alone will never convince a person. You understand it by faith. That's how you understand it. You know it's real. And then he goes on in this 11th chapter, verse 4, by faith, Abel. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch. Verse 7, by faith, Noah. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham. And on and on I could go. From verses 1 to 31, the writer of the book of Hebrew uses this word faith, by faith, in faith, 22 times to describe those that believed God and did great things for him and his kingdom. And then you get to the very end of that chapter, just to make sure he got everybody covered there. He goes on to, to name many other men and women who conquered and did great works by, by faith for the kingdom of God. And at the very end, verse 39, he says, And all these, having gained approval through their faith. Gain whose approval? God's approval. They gained approval from God because they were willing to walk by faith. And folks, the reason I start here with how do you defeat the giants in your life is very simple. If you don't approach this by faith, you're not going to get very far. This is a spiritual battle. We fight with weapons of spiritual warfare. We do not fight against flesh and blood. And if you're in the kingdom of God today, we're in a spiritual battle. And you don't fight with weapons that can be seen. You fight with spiritual weapons of God. Powerful weapons of God that he's given to those who are his children that we appropriate by Faith, I'm not going to read this, Mark 6, verses 1 to 6. Jesus goes back to his hometown. He'd been healing all around the Galilee area. And he comes back to his very hometown. And the Bible says that as he came back, he, he did not do many miracles there except heal one or two people. And then it says in that verse, verse 6 of Mark 6, and he could do no miracle there except he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And then it says this, and he wondered at their unbelief. I don't see God doing anything in my life. And he wondered at their unbelief. Boy, God's not very real in my church. Wonder what's the problem? And he wondered at their unbelief. We walk by faith, trusting and believing God to defeat the giants in our lives and to do what he's promised in the life of his children. So many times, folks, we, we limit our faith by our senses I mean, for many of us, if we can't see it, touch it, hear it, smell it, taste it, it's hard for us to believe it. But faith is a sixth sense. It, it rises you above just the physical senses. 
The people of God didn't go into the promised land because they saw giants that were big and it kept them out of the promised land. Their physical senses limited their spiritual faith. And they failed. We limit our faith by our emotions. Are you walking with God? No, I'm not. Well, do you read your Bible? No, I don't read my Bible. Well, how come you don't read your Bible? I just don't feel like it. What's that got to do with it? Somebody please tell me how you're supposed to feel to read your Bible. Reading my Bible is not an act of feeling. It's an act of faith, an act of obedience. Did you pray today? No. Why didn't you pray? I just, I just didn't feel like it. Has nothing to do with feelings. Has to do with trusting a God who you know hears your prayer and will answer it. Boys, when you don't feel like it, you need to pray the most. Amen? Oh, I didn't go very far. We, we limit, and, and by the way, the children of God went by their emotions and they didn't enter the promised land. They saw those giants and they were afraid. Fear kept them out of the promised land. We limit our faith by our logic sometimes. Now, God's given us a brain to use. He expects us to use it. I wish some people would use it more than they do. Sometimes I wish I used mine more than I do. But folks, you can't always logic out God. And I got news for you. God asks us to do a lot of things that don't go with the realm of natural logic. The people of God started figuring out, hey, them giants are a whole lot bigger than we are. We can't beat them, so there's no way in the world we can go in there. Let's don't go. They gave out a bad report, all based on their logic instead of walking by faith. First and foremost principle. If you're going to defeat the giants in your life, it starts in the realm of faith. If you don't have faith, by the way, we all struggle with that. And can I tell you this morning that none of us have in our flesh the faith you need to trust God. But God gives you faith when you ask him in faith. God's grace is sufficient to give you what you don't have. Ask God to give you faith. You remember the gentleman that Jesus, I think, had healed his son. and He wanted to believe that Jesus could heal his son. And Jesus asked him, do you believe? And he, he answered Jesus very honestly. And, well, what a, what, a, what a very honest confession he made, but how true it is. He said, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times when I'm walking through life, I have to say to the Lord, Lord, I really do believe, but help me in my unbelief. Because I don't have supernatural faith in my own flesh. It's not in my makeup. I need friends. I need help. God gives it. Ask him. Hey, it is an act of faith to ask God for faith. You'd be amazed how it deals faith in your heart sometimes. How do I get faith? Ask God for faith even when you don't have faith. Get into the Word. One of my favorite verses of Scripture in the Bible, and I'm closing with this. Did I say that already? I don't think I did. 
But I am closing with this. I'm not through, but I will finish. One of my favorite verses of Scripture is Romans 10, verse 17. Because sometimes we think that faith is some internal feeling that we have to muster up or we have to groan and gut it out to get that feeling of faith and we we have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to be able to get faith to believe God that's foolish you know where faith comes from the best answer to that question is found in Romans 10 verse 17 faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we're going to talk about this more in two weeks. But folks, I found out a long time ago when I get God's Word into my heart and I start building my life in obedience to His Word, it's His Word that builds faith in me. That's why you need the Word in your life. If you're struggling with faith, get in the Word. Let the Word get into you. And boy, you'll find God working faith in you. There's more I could tell you this morning. But let me just say this again. We'll, we'll talk about this more in two weeks. But folks, if you're going to get victory over the giants in your life, it starts with the overarching principle of faith. This is a faith battle. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And in order for the giants to fall, you're going to have to take the shield of faith to deflect the flaming missiles from the evil one. But you're also going to have to advance on the enemy by faith. Stand against him in the power and the strength of the Lord in order to see those giants fall from your life. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the truth that is there. Help us. And Lord, I don't, I don't know why. I don't know why you wanted me just to camp out on this truth for a while this morning. Maybe I'm the only one that needed to hear it. Father, I've got a sneaky suspicion it's needed for all of us. Lord, help us not to walk by our sight. Help us not to walk by our emotions alone. Help us not walk by our logic alone. Help us to move above anything physical. Come into a realm of spiritual life, fullness, that can only be acquired through faith. Lord, help us in our unbelief. God, I, pr I pray for this church, that you would help this church trust you. Move them way beyond what they think they can do in their own spirit, physical strength. Move them beyond their own logic, their own feelings, their own wants and desires. God, help them to walk by faith in what you can do. Oh, Lord, you can do so much more than we can do. You can accomplish great and mighty things for your namesake and for your glory. You're just looking for a people who will trust you. Oh, God, let me be such a man. May that be true of every person listening here in this room or whether they're listening live streaming this morning. Stir our hearts, hearts to trust you more. To walk by faith, not by sight. Help us where we're weak so that we can see what you see 
and claim victorious that which you've given to us in Jesus' name. Boy, if you're here this morning, there's never been a time in your life that you've come to salvation, you put your faith in the Lord Jesus. It's not a better place than right here, not a better time than right now to give your heart and your life to Jesus. God's brought you here for a time such as this. He's knocking at your heart's door. You know you need to get right with him today. You know you need to trust his son. And just as I said a moment ago, it begins when you trust him in faith. For God so loves you that he gave you his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So if you're here today and you need to give your heart and your life to Jesus, you might not even know what you need to do, but this is what I'll ask you to do. We're going to stand and we're going to sing a hymn of commitment together. I'm going to be standing down front, and as we, as soon as we begin to sing, would you step out from where you'll be standing, make your way down front, take me by the hand and say, Pastor Ken, I need to give my heart and my life to Jesus. So that's all you need to say. We'll have one of our staff members take you and speak with you privately back in the back for a few moments, open God's Word to you, and show you how you can be saved today and how you can give your heart, your life to Christ. Start a brand new life. Walk out of here with the promise of eternal life. Would you come? Would you take that first step of faith and obedience? Come give your heart to Jesus today. And then, Christian, if God has spoken to you, this altar is open. If you need to come for prayer, if you need one of us to pray with you, or maybe just where you stand in a moment, you need to give expression of faith to God to tell him, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Father, help us to be obedient even now to what we've heard. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Lead leads us in our singing. You respond this morning as God has spoken to your heart. <laughs>